Peace, you reached the voicemail of Taryn. I can't come to the phone right now because I'm about to record this new episode of the Miseducation of the People featuring education sociologist and social justice educator Deja L. Jones. It's officially back to school season and we are faced with much confusion because things are changing day to day. So of course we had to get an expert to speak on what the landscape of education is looking like. We talked about how schools are encouraging mediocrity, the conditions that students and educators are experiencing within schools pre-COVID and during, and other needs to know topics. Get ready and pass this information along, because without our youth, our future is doomed. Beats by Pete Samples. Miseducation. Miseducation. What's good, y'all? That, that's my shit. I ain't gonna lie. I've been playing that uh, for a minute. But yeah, welcome to another episode of the Miseducation of the People. It's Taryn. I don't know, y'all. Y'all be saying it's your boys, your mans. I don't know. I'm still trying to work on the intro, you know what I mean? But yeah, we back. Another episode. So as usual, we're gonna start off with some shout-outs. Shout-outs to the educators, man. Um, K-12, through my higher education professionals. Um, shit's real. Things are changing daily. Uh... Yeah, some schools are already in a session and we're already seeing what's going on. But um, I want y'all to keep your heads up and I'm saying nothing but good vibes to all of y'all because yeah, it's real out here. And this is probably going to be the year that makes or breaks our educational system. I have a strong feeling about that. And if not, we're going to see a strong exodus, meaning like people going to lead a field um, because of the bullshit they're going through. So, you know, keep your heads up. Uh, shout out to my 200 pounds and plus brothers of Tuskegee gang you know it's it's hot it's rough out here and i mean we, we we got we got some parts that you know we sweating more than usual you know so i hope y'all got your sweat rags because we can't be caught out here slipping i mean if y'all knew me in college y'all, y'all knew i had the big ass sweat puddle under my underarms not me it's handled now but yeah it was real but uh once you hit 200 pounds they automatically made you a sweat rag um as a sign of your initiation to Tuskegee gang so i hope y'all got that with your eye and uh, last but not least, uh, shout out to Kamala Harris. Definitely history is being made. Shout out to black women. Y'all stay doing it. Shout out to the first fam, all the AKAs. Man, y'all going to be on one forever. I know this. And shout out to the HBCUs. This is a win for us. Uh, she went to Howard, but, eh. but you know, I'll rep Morgan, but it's all family, you know. Um, and it's it really matters. Um, I keep saying that representation matters, and it is true. So she's doing her thing. Um, however, I do not agree with her politics. So notice how I pulled her up, but I didn't destroy her with other areas, um, just because I didn't believe in the politics. Um, oftentimes, you know, when society disagrees with a black woman, they pick her apart in any and every way that they can, even if those differences have nothing to do with the original thing that made us feel some type of way. So shout out to Kamala Harris. Definitely. You're doing your thing. You're making history, but the politics, I don't know. Um, her and Joe Biden, I do not have much faith in them to do much, but it's going to be better than Trump. I could say that for a fact, but my concern really comes when, um, Biden has already verbally committed increasing funding to law enforcement during this time that we're in right now where law enforcement is just running amok and abusing their powers and the fact that Kamala's history of putting innocent black people in jail is horrendous I heard the point of she's a prosecutor so of course that's her job but it just doesn't stick right with me with the level of offenses that she has uh, dealt with and um yeah so I'm gonna put some, I'm gonna put some um, good energy out there but yeah I don't yeah. Anyway, better than Trump. So let's let's go with that. Let's go with that. Anyway, next next thing. But um, I'm feeling better this week. Uh, got a lot of reflection done, a lot of meditation. Um, one thing I did was visit my grandfather that transitioned last year. Um, at the cemetery, and literally hours later that same day, I got what I needed to help me feel better. It wasn't a wop, nothing sexual, not me, but this just shows you the power of the ancestors. You know, like. When you actually acknowledge them and pour into them like they're pouring into you, then, you know, good things start happening because they got your back. They still here. But, you know, we oftentimes forget about them. So, you know, look them out. Um, also, one thing I was talking to my grandmother about, which is very interesting, um, 
we need to go back to figure out where our people are buried because that information isn't usually passed down. And it's like once a certain generation passes, it's lost forever. So those are important things to have because cemeteries are big as hell. And we see all those graves, but physically trying to locate where your loved ones are, that's very important, you know, and we don't want that if that history to go down. So please find out where your people are buried. Um, drop a pen um, in your phone. So at least you got that little um, GPS tracker, whatever you want to call it. I can't think right now. It's like four o'clock in the morning. But um, yeah, man, go ahead and do that because that's that's important information. So uh, the Real Talk session series is still looking for a strategic communications intern. Um, ideally, I would like to close this out on August 15th, but uh, I, I need some quality interns. So I might extend that search. But uh, this position will have the potential to turn into a full time position. So uh, please pass the word. The outstanding individual will be handling uh, updating our website putting together some posts, doing some copywriting, um, doing our newsletter that we're trying to uh, put out there, you know, um, just really trying to move forward what we're doing to get the information out there. Um, so we got some big moves trying to help my people out, trying to help these younger students out to become better professionals, um, not just to work for somebody, but also to learn skills, how to work for themselves and whatnot. So that's what we're doing over here, you know. So spread the word. Any people that are in college or recent college graduates, um, it is not currently a paid position, but I do look out for my people. And I mean, if you're doing good work, you will get a cash app. And I mean, like you got to look out for your people sometimes, you know, I might treat you to lunch. And I mean, so that's one of the important things, you know, we, we family over here, we actually mean it. We take other people's opinions into account. Well, I'm saying we, I'm talking about me, but, um, you know, I still look at it as this is ours together. If you're coming into my organization, then you know, I feel that you have what it takes and I, I wholeheartedly feel that, you know, you believe in the mission. So, you know, I'm gonna look out for you um, and I'm not going to overuse you and all that crap. So please pass the word. Uh, Tuesday, August 18th is a national holiday, a.k.a. my birthday. So um, there will be a big sale on merch. So please follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more information. And as usual, all of our proceeds from your investment from buying merch goes towards our efforts in bringing easily accessible education resources to black communities across the nation. Plus we offer free shipping. So why not? I mean, and just in general, you can follow us on all of our social media pages uh, outside of Facebook and Instagram. We are on LinkedIn and YouTube at real talk session series. Let us know your thoughts, comment, share a post. Um, we've been putting some real good stuff out there. Shout out to Lynn. Um, very informative uh, information. Well, I say informative information, but anyway. But uh, yeah, definitely some stuff that can help people out. We've been putting out um, some information to help out our brothers and sisters and individuals of the trans community. Also some information on voter registration and all that good stuff. And, you know, some instant mood boosters. You know, I had to put a couple of my songs out there. I go to when... I'm feeling down, you know, so first round was Jada Kiss, we're going to make it. You put that on, you know, you're going to get up a little bit. Then you put International Players Anthem on, you're going to stand up and you're going to go crazy, you know what I mean? Then if you want a little chill joint, a little Simply Beautiful by Al Green, and lastly, Hello featuring Andre 3000 by Erica Badu. So those those are a few of my picks um, from this past week. But we're going to have some more stuff on there. You know, we having fun. We bring the ratchet and the righteousness. We bring the education. But we also, you know, we know how to get, have a good time. So, uh, yeah. Also, please share the podcast. Rate, review, and subscribe. We are new. We're trying to grow. Those numbers matter and help us in our efforts to be discovered by new audiences. Uh, you know, help us out because we know something big out here. Um, and those are the non-monetary ways you can support us. But if you would like to... Um, if you're in the spirit of giving, then of course, we're not going to deny you. Uh, we do have options for you to donate, um, and it is greatly appreciated. Please visit realtalksessionseries.org. Once again, the website is realtalksessionseries.org. On the top right, you'll see a tab that says donate, you know, and we make it happen. So just a little update on what's going on out here in the world. Uh, nothing heavy like last week, really, but... Um, the federal student loan deferrals have been extended to January 1st, 2021. I hope it gets canceled, but you know, it's a win. 
Uh, and also, there has not been any updates on eviction moratoriums. <laughs> Notice how to slow down and say that shit, because right now I cannot speak. It's just like some words that be like, ah. I mean, so, you know, mess it up. It's all good. And we about to get into today's episode. Um, definitely is something that is close to my heart. I am an educator. Um, I've been teaching in the higher education realm, but I had a chance to actually get within the K through 12 uh, environment this past 2019. Yeah, 2019. Um, definitely uh, eye opening. And to quote the world renowned hood scholar, Ghostface Killer. Hey, yo, the devil planted fears inside the black babies. 50 cents sodas in the hood. They going crazy. Dead meats placed on the shelves. We eat cold cuts fast from the hog and y'all grow up. Know what I mean, so our kids are going through a lot of stuff. The babies um, and school is an escape sometimes from their environment or home lives and all that stuff. Um, and unfortunately, with what's going on with COVID, we they no longer have that safe haven um that they did before uh I, I know for me for a fact some of the stuff i experienced within the school that was at um in newark it, it was definitely um heartbreaking and just hearing the stories but we're gonna get into it you know and we're gonna see what the future of everything is with education so without further ado <laughs> you know i was trying to get fancy there miss deja l jones education sociologist and social justice educator she's got some fancy ass titles all right let's go Hey, what's going on, Deja? How you doing? Thank you so much for coming on as a guest to the Miseducation of the People. Thank you for having me. Um, I love any opportunity I can get to just speak to my people about what's going on and, you know, education and, you know, trends and things like that. So thank you for having me. Now, no problem at all. And that's all we're about right now, you know, um, focusing on education reform. Mm -hmm. And especially like when I got put on to you, I was highly impressed. So, you know, salute to you. You out here doing the work that's needed. And, you know, we got a lot of stuff going on. So explain to the people who you are and your experiences in education, because I selected you for a very <laughs> particular reason. So, you know, just let the people know who you are, you know, talk your stuff. Okay. Uh, so my name is Deja. I'm from Jersey, Jersey born and raised. Um, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I've lived in Newark for like the past 10 years, but I'm from Trenton, New Jersey. So I'm always representing, you know, both cities. Um, I've worked in education mm -hmm. for now going on eight years. Um, I started off in education around 2014 and I was working in um, like youth development nonprofit um for like boys and girls club or the ymcas and i did a lot of mm -hmm. youth management for uh, the teen population um so pretty much uh doing college and career readiness training for them um uh, scheduling college tours but then also on like the social worker aspect of it referring them to services mm -hmm. um and just making sure that they and their families had like the in-home supports and stuff that they needed um, and supplying those resources. Um, and working with that youth population in that capacity, it really uh, strengthened my desire to want to be in the classroom as a teacher. So I ended up getting a job as a high school English teacher. And that was sort mm. of where the realities of, you know, what's going on in our school systems really started to hit me. Um, and I only stayed in that position mm -hmm. for about a year. Um, I, I think one of the things that really shocked me being in that role was being a ninth grade English teacher, but mm. not being able to teach ninth grade content to my class because they were on a first and third grade reading level. And mm -hmm. I was sort of like thrown off, like how did they get this far? You know, like who allowed them to continue? And that's in Newark too, right? Yeah. And this is in Newark. Okay. And this is like a community academy yeah. too. So you know, this is a school who has like a high esteem for being college ready and everything like that. So that was like an mm. eye opener for me. Um, but then I started teaching kindergarten for the same uh, charter network and things really started to piece together. And I started to see why kids pass through the system and how something like mm -hmm. that can happen. Um, it really starts as early as uh, preschool and kindergarten for our kids. Um, Absolutely. So I've worked in that capacity for, you know, since 2014 and I've just become like 
like as the years go on, I just become more and more exposed to a lot of things that's happening. Um, yeah. uh, I'm actually an um, education sociologist now. Um, I left the classroom in June okay. 2019. Mm-hmm. And what a sociologist is, it's just, um, it's a career that's very research heavy. And I look at how certain groups navigate um, certain social systems. So my concentration is education. So I, I really mm-hmm. look at how the education system influences our black and brown youth, but then also how the community influences what's going on in the schools and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So that's where I am now um, and doing a lot of consulting work as a social justice educator, um, mm-hmm. really speaking not only to students about education justice, but also speaking to adults who are teachers, parents, uh, people who work in community-based organizations, and even like higher education uh, professionals who are like department chairs and head of um, like department for teacher prep programs. Mm-hmm. That's... Definitely needed what you're doing, especially when it comes to the social justice education within the educational system. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking about the higher ups, because they're extremely out of touch sometimes. And as you go up, the lighter it gets. So, you know, thank you for providing that training. And um, for me, I worked in higher education for a majority of my professional career. So from like 2000 seven paraprofessionally and then professionally 2010 Mm -hmm. and then i took a little break a four let's say it's a fourth break you know a little fourth break in 2019 so um after my period in higher education i actually spent time in newark also doing some work so i was at a uh after school um coordinator for one of the elementary schools in newark and that was my first time working in uh, was it the K through 12 setting? And my eyes were definitely open to a lot of different situations, like Mm -hmm. the conditions of the schools, the lack of resources, even though Newark is a, uh, federally funded, uh, district. Um, these are my opinions too. So don't attack Deja, but like when I see the amount of money that Newark is getting and I don't see it applied to the classrooms, it always makes me a little skeptical, right? Yeah. But that, that that was my observation. And then there were some situations with the students too, but I'm gonna go more into my experiences later on. But what was one of the most eye-opening things to you when you became a teacher? Because oftentimes people talk about teachers are overpaid, which is a joke. Mm-hmm. Um, teachers, I, I have a lot of teacher friends. Uh, my ex was a teacher and I see the level of stress that they go through the amount of hours that they do outside the classroom, mm-hmm. the weekend times they're using to prepare for classes and all that stuff. And like, I was shocked. And people talking about, oh yeah, they get paid too much or they need to get back to school. I'm like, if y'all only knew. So you being a professional within K through 12, what was like some of the, the more eye-opening things about the profession for you when you came into it? Um, So I think it's the bar that we hold students to that was very shocking to me. So in a lot of schools now, because they're, I guess, like the overall school grade is so low and their achievement rate is so low, rather than, you know, doing the work to uh, shift the curriculum and maybe cater to the needs of the students, what a lot of schools are starting to do now is lower their passing rate percentage. So nationally, like when you mm. take the class, you know, like whether you're in college or uh, in the K through 12 setting, you know that you have to at least mm. get a C in order to be um, considered proficient or at least average yeah. in like what you're learning. But what a lot of schools are starting mm. to do now is lower that to 60%, which is a D, which is literally one point from an F. So you're basically- Promoting mediocrity. Right. So you're basically telling the students that all you have to do is get a 60% and you'll be uh, considered on target. And that's a a practice Mm. that's really starting to happen in our schools because rather than rising to the occasion and shifting the curriculum for students, Mm. now it's all about data and percentages because a huge part of the school funding that's given goes towards teacher salary, goes towards uh, teacher insurance uh, packages, and Mm. just financing the school day. So New Jersey as a whole spends about a million dollars a day for a single school day. That's how much on average it costs the the state of New Jersey. So when you look at, break down those numbers, you see more than half is going towards teacher pay, right? But it's just like teachers still aren't making enough money. Um, 
Yep. An average starting teacher salary is like $35,000. Which is ridiculous. Right. So your paycheck is like (laughs) one paycheck is probably just touching the thousands. So when you live in the state like New Jersey, where the property taxes are high, the rent is ridiculous, and you're making that little bit of money, that's that's really scary. Um, And it puts teacher in a position often to have to decide between like their own livelihoods or their love for the children. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's just like, do I continue to work 12 hour shifts a day making little money or do I look for a second job? Because a lot of teachers end up having second jobs either in Mm. the evenings or on weekends. And it's stressful. Um, And, you know, that's why people, a lot of people say like usually after five years, a lot of teachers end up leaving the profession um, mm-hmm. and it's because you, like you're literally signing your life away. Um, you know, you're working on the hour, by the hour, even after hours, um, you're taking work home with you and you're expected yeah. to meet those deadlines. Like even if the deadline is on a Saturday or a Sunday, you're still expected to meet those deadlines. Um, so that mm-hmm. was an eye opener for me. Um, because like I value my time and I'm just like, when I'm off the clock, I'm off the clock. But then, like you know, when getting, <laughs> right? Like, but when I'm getting like emails and text messages about materials and deadlines on, you know, after hours, and I'm trying to eat my dinner or I'm going to bed, or if I'm being told that I have to report to school one Saturday per quarter and it's mandatory, <sighs> it's just mm. like, do you really value me as a person? Like, do you value my life? And that's something that really opened my eyes up being a teacher because people think, Oh, you can just walk into a classroom and teach. It is not mm-hmm. that easy at all. Like <laughs> at there, there's all. more prep to that. Yes, <laughs> Way more prep. So much. And you, you find that out immediately. Um, mm-hmm. So that's like one thing. Those are like two things that really opened my eyes up. It's just like how low, how low we set the bar for our kids, but then just how teachers aren't even allowed to like have a life outside of the profession. Um, yep. and then it's just also, you know, just the way like school leadership, um, and I can honestly say like working in a charter school network, you really don't have to have much experience or you don't have to have much credentials to get a, a leadership position. So there are a lot of people mm. leading schools, um, leading charter schools who aren't necessarily qualified to be there. And it really sounds similar to our, uh, guy in the charge right now. Mm-hmm. So mm. And this is exactly what it is. Um, You know, you taught for two years and now all of a sudden you're a dean of students or you're a school leader. And it's just like, well, if you go to the district with that, like if you Mm -hmm. apply at a a regular public school, you're not going to get hired for that role because you don't have the credentials or the experience. So, you know, there's there's just a lot of leniency with um, who gets what positions in charter schools. But Mm. then there's also like, this idea that you know teachers are also enduring like the same amount of oppression that the students are enduring so that was something that really like turned me off to being like in that setting um yeah and I was just like I don't like I got so I got laid off I I will be honest I got laid off in June of 2019 their loss and it was because like I really started speaking up uh and I find like when you're a teacher who speaks up and goes against the grain your mm. names are numbered like, <laughs> like yo that that that's that's my story but i can't really get into it because Teresa's is watching but yeah yeah <laughs> you speak up it's real like your days are numbers um and you know they find any little thing to sort of like weed you out and that's what was happening to me my last year being in the classroom like it was just so mm. much going on and I kept my head down. I did what I had to do in my classroom and it still wasn't enough because like I was speaking out too much and I was being a little bit too honest with parents about what was going on in the schools. So Mm -hmm. they got me out of there. Um, And And it's, and that was in a black school district, correct? Yep. This was in Newark, charter school in Mm, Newark. And I was just like, what do I do now? I, I sort of went through like that period where I'm like, okay, do I apply for more jobs as a teacher or do I like figure out something else? And so I was going on job interviews to be, you know, a, a teacher and I would get offers and, you know, people would be like, oh, you did a really good job. 
But I would walk out mm-hmm. of the interviews like completely turned off because I'm just like, I don't want to put myself back on that wheel. Um, and, and a lot of people yeah. feel that way. And it's so unfortunate because you're taking away good people who actually care about the children. Absolutely. And they always say that we need more Black educators. However, mm-hmm. the environment is not conducive to allowing the Black educators to be successful. Right. You don't want our input. You want us as diversity for your numbers so you can yep. report that to the state so you can get additional fundings. So that that's a lot of the issues that I have with the schools. And definitely when, um, what, what were you saying? Something about uh, something. I forgot what point you made of, but definitely like just not feeling appreciated by higher ups. Mm-hmm. That's something where, you know, if, if we're the ones that are on the front lines putting in the work that's making your position look like it's successful, then yeah. you should be able to really appreciate the staff that is putting you in this position, you know, yeah. because you're only there because of our work. So, you know, that's always been my, my issue, but you know, we're not, we're not going to get into that really. <laughs> but, uh, so when I was working at the, at the school program, man, it's like kids go through stuff. Um, and adults really try to downplay it because of their age, but mm-hmm. like they really be going through some real shit. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to, um, in the, uh, cause I want to always keep the, the babies protected. So I'm not going to give any identifying information, but there was this, uh, this kid in seventh grade I was working with and I'm like, good kid, but you know, his situation at home, you know, both parents in jail, staying with his grandmother, but he had other people there, other family members there. So he ended up having to scam to get by. And I'm like, dog, you're a baby. You're in seventh grade. You got to do all this. And like, that was a situation for me where I was like, if this something I can use my influence to help out, I wish I could, but Mm -hmm. ultimately there was nothing I can do because of the position I was in. But like, was there a situation like that, that really stuck out to you? Because I think that really putting these stories out there will help people understand that kids are human beings too, mm-hmm. and they reserve the, the their rights matter. You know, so like, was there a situation similar to that for you? Yeah, um, there were a lot of situations, especially being in the kindergarten setting, um, where mm. there's this idea that because they're like five and six years old, they don't have the autonomy to decide like for themselves what works for them and what doesn't. Um, yeah. I had a situation, this was my first year teaching kindergarten. Um, it was a completely mm. different playing field for me, especially working with teens for, you know, up to that point, like three or four years. And so mm. I have this little boy in my class who has like these, um, impulse control issues, right? Like, you know, he would just have episodes where he just couldn't control himself. Yeah. Um, and I feel like the school sort of like tossed him aside you know, didn't really mm-hmm. try to like help him or hold him to a standard. Um, he was never in class, you know, whenever he would have like a moment, they're pulling him out of the yeah. classroom. So he's spending all day in the social workers um, office. Um, and, you know, kindergarten wow. is a very crucial year because they're learning how to read and write. Mm-hmm. So that whole year, he did not learn a single word to read or you know, didn't know how to write his numbers or his letter. Like he didn't learn anything that year. And it mm-hmm. was because, you know, the school, like when they don't know what to do with the kid, when they don't know how to like handle the kid, they're like immediately like just throwing him out. Oh, we're going to give him extra breaks during the day. They can go, but then they're gone for the whole day and they're just on an iPad playing or something mm-hmm. and not learning. Um, yeah. And it was really hard for me to sort of like step up and, you know, advocate for him as much as I did because, you know, you work in a school where you have 30 kids in a single classroom. And mm-hmm. that's the big issue right there, too. And they're talking about they want to get back to classroom. We'll yeah. get there. We'll get there. <laughs> There's like 30 kids in one class, like 35 and six year olds in one class. And I'm expected, wow. like, I have partner teachers. So there's two of us, but even still, like, 30 is a lot of kids. And there yep. are going to be a few kids who are going to slip through the cracks because there's just not enough time in, in the school day. There's just mm-hmm. not enough time like or space in the classroom to really get to every single kid. And, yeah. you know, it's such a it's such a disservice. Um, so when you have kids who have special needs, um, who need additional support, you can't really give them that. And the school's also not really equipped to give them that. Um you know, I, I had a, a kid in my class, um, my last year teaching, 
who really struggled with reading. Um, and the way the school sort of framed it was, mm. oh, she's fine. She doesn't need any services. You know, telling her, and like her parent is actually demanding for her to get services. And the school is telling her, your child doesn't need services. That's um, ridiculous. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like with data and with schools who say they're data driven, I, I, I question that a lot. Because the thing with data is that you can shift the data however you want to get yep. whatever narrative you want to like present. And this yep. girl... Real quick, let me stop you real quick. Mm-hmm. There is the richest town in New Jersey. They quote unquote qualify for federal funding because of their um, so-called high population of lower income students. So they receive the same federal funding, even though they're the most mm-hmm. uh, rich district in new jersey yeah. as newark and that's something that like i'm like really so that's when you talk about screwing the data for yeah. your purposes yeah. that's a prime example of it right there yeah and you know it happens often um mm-hmm. and in that situation if you gave her a book to read she could not read it to you like she didn't know mm. what simple words were like the or in you know just words like that she couldn't read um yeah but when we give the when we were giving the kids like assessments like literacy assessments, mm. they were multiple choice uh, assessments, and it was the teacher who was reading the stories to the kids, and all the kids had to do was circle the answer like that goes with the question. So I'm mm. just like she's not expected to read in that situation. She's just expected to listen to a story and pick the right answer. Yeah. So when it came time to evaluating her and seeing if she needs services. The school, they didn't use the fact that she couldn't read as like the data point to say, okay, she needs services. They used mm. the assessments that the teachers were reading to her on as the data point. Because they're just like, oh, well, she's passing the assessments. And I'm like, yep. yeah, that's because we're reading them to her. She can't read mm. on her own. And that's the most important like part of this situation right here. So it's just yeah. like, you know, like schools like that. And that's the thing with charter schools is that they teeter the line a lot because Although they get public funding, they're also privately operated. So you can essentially mm-hmm. do what you want to do in a charter school. And that's usually what they do is, you know, what they want to do. Mm. Sad situation, definitely. Um, and especially with the one size fits all model that mm-hmm. the American education system has always had. Yeah. But now we see that, you know, we've haven't been prepared and, you know, Education has been shook up with everything that's going on with COVID-19. So what is the landscape looking like for reopening for the fall? Um, I know just yesterday, uh, Gwinnett County, uh, the largest uh, school district in Georgia, 260 teachers and staff members tested positive after having to physically report to the school to prepare for opening. If that's not an indicator of what's to come, then I don't know. But I'm going to defer to the expert. So like, what's the landscape looking like to you, in your opinion, and also with what you're seeing through the research right now? So I don't think that schools should be in operation, like the buildings. And I feel like yeah. if there's someone who really understands how liberating education should be, you would know that you don't need a building for kids to learn. Um, yep. and, and that's just like the whole basis of educating to liberate and not to conform. Mm. Because, you know, the purpose of the building is to create like this feeling of conformity um, where the children are, you know, just sitting in desk in a row. And as a teacher, you're spitting information. The kids are receiving the information and then they're expected to regurgitate the information on assessments. Mm. But I think now, like with COVID and everything that's happening, we're not only seeing the flaws around like institutional racism in schools, but we're starting mm-hmm. to see environmental racism in the communities surrounding the schools. We're starting to see digital Absolutely. divides, you know, families who don't have access to technology. Um, we're starting to see where schools are falling through the cracks in terms of like offering, yeah. you know, special services to students who have IEPs or learning disabilities. So there's just a lot of things being exposed right now. Mm-hmm. And I think now with COVID and everyone in the house and, you know, everyone online, I think this is now like the perfect time to really reform and like, like dismantle like these systems that really affect our children. But I yes. think there's like a rush to just get back into schools. And, you know, that's a money 
situation because you know schools are in operation then there's no need capitalism rules all right like if you know the schools aren't in operation then there's no need to give money to the school and you know Mm -hmm. people want that money so we're going to send our kids back to school and we're going to expect full attendance so that we can continue to get that money um so that we can pay you know staff and we can do like the health benefits and stuff like that so i'll say that there's also just a lot of teachers who are also compliant and complicit in things happening. Um, Mm -hmm. And and it's really like this mindset of like colonialism, right? It's like, you have not went through this process of like decolonization to really be able to reimagine what schools should be and what they can be for our kids, because, you know, you're still drinking the Kool-Aid basically. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, there's a lot of teachers and I I will say like with charter schools, the pay scale is a lot different, which is why, you know, a lot of people tend to go to charter schools, um, as teachers, because you're getting paid at least 20 to $30,000 more than a Mm. a public school teacher. Um, and a lot of people don't want to miss out on that money and those benefits. So it's like, okay, we'll be quiet and we'll just take it. Like we'll complain about it in private to like our friends and stuff, but we're going to like be compliant so we can continue to like get these big salary checks and you know, stuff like that that comes with it. It's like this country is so trash. Like you have to (laughs) risk, you have to trade in your integrity just for money. Exactly. And the money is even going to guarantee your happiness or that you're going to have a stressless life. Like it's, it's wild to me. Definitely. And honestly, where I see things going, um, have you ever read the book, book, uh, Fahrenheit 451? No. I, I, uh, so fair classic. Uh, I got you, got you. Well, there was a movie, a, a version of it actually with Michael B. Jordan on it. So mm-hmm. uh, people say it's trash, but honestly, it's like a lot of people who don't realize the truth that's going on right now with what they're being told and lied about. Mm-hmm. So pretty much with Fahrenheit fifty four fifty one, all cultural things have been taken away. They're banned. They're illegal. So books, uh, movies, magazines, music, mm-hmm. anything that the government does not issue to you is illegal. And honestly, it feels like we're shifting towards that in real life, which mm-hmm. is scary as hell, because this book was written, um, I think, early 1900s or whatnot. But, you know, we see what's going on. We see TV screens like in the book, all the screens in their homes. I mean, all the walls in their homes are screens and wow. we're moving to screens everywhere. So, like, the fact that intelligence and gaining information easily is being um, taken away from us, that mm-hmm. it eerily reminds me of that, definitely. But uh, yeah, sorry for the tangent. <laughs> but, no. uh, and you know, what's crazy is that that's actually what schools were meant to be. Um, like I usually do like this workshop around like the origins of uh, white supremacy in schools. Mm. And I, it's like a storytelling. So I, I go back to like the 1600s when you start to see the first schools pop up in uh, what was the colonies because we weren't yet the states. But the first school yeah. popped up, you know, in Boston. and the school's purpose was to continue pushing like this Calvinist uh, doctrine of Christianity. So the kids, like the textbooks that the kids used to read was actually the Bible. And then they were expected to learn Latin. And, you know, it was just a way for like the Puritans to really continue pushing like their culture and their way of life onto people. And when Mm -hmm. they started naturalizing Native Americans and um, just the Spanish that they had, uh, colonized and stuff too they were expected to also adopt that same you know form of education and Mm. it was actually illegal for you know native americans to practice their culture and their language it was illegal for spanish to speak spanish um Mm -hmm. and you know if you did not comply you were either killed or you were sent to reservation camps and the thing with reservation camps is that they were actually called originally prisoner of war camps. Um, and wow. were like for anybody who rebelled against like the naturalization act and the sim- assimilation to like what they were trying to do um, and build America into. So that same mentality, it has not changed at all. You know, like the purpose of schools have always been to assimilate children to be able mm-hmm. to now go out into like the the country 
and really like enable and further perpetuate like this capitalist um model of living um and it's this idea mm-hmm. that you know the more things that you can acquire the more material possessions the more you can climb up the social economic ladder the more um yep. i guess like the more acceptable you are by the dominant white culture and that's something that's constantly yep. drilled in our children is that you need to be successful. You need to make a lot of money, but then it's just like, where's the real values, right? Where's love and responsibility and respect mm. and community. And that's something that you we, talk about my life right now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you talk about my life for real. <laughs> that's something that we miss a lot. You know, you know, I've even heard parents say, I want to give my kids a life I didn't have, but you know, yep. they foil their kids with things like sneakers and shoes and, you know, technology and all that stuff. And then like, to be real honest with you, like the kid be bad as hell <laughs> because like, yeah, there's absolutely. No, like there's no values being taught to the child. Right. Like, it's just this idea that I'm going to get the nice sneakers and stuff like that, but it's not go to school and respect yeah. your teacher or go to school and learn, be nice, be kind, you know, help one another. So, you know, we lose out on a lot of that because, you know, we still have like this capitalist mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like me going off on a tangent. But <laughs> yeah, no, no worries. No worries at all. <laughs> but but let's, let's let's pull it back, though, to uh mm-hmm. to the landscape of what it's looking like. So um you mentioned that, you know, you don't need a, a building for education, which I absolutely agree with. Right. And that's kind of like what the Real Talk session is growing into. It's a non-traditional educational tool. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to show that there's something a new way to really teach people. Right. But for our kids, um. What are some of the options for families that do not have access to the internet or is very limited or don't even have access to a working computer? Like what's being done for these families? Because like you said, those environmental factors are a part of the institutional racism also. So mm-hmm. what's being done for families in this situation? So a lot of families are adopting homeschooling as an option. So for mm. a lot of people think that there's a privilege that comes with being able to homeschool your kid. Um, mm. I agree with that in some instances, right? Like if you're a, a single mom and you have like two or three kids and you have to go to work, I can understand why homeschooling might be, you know, a little bit challenging for you. Um, yeah. But homeschooling is an option and homeschooling, it really restores like the autonomy. I think it's a great way to also build relationships within the family too. You know, just having mm. like your parents or an aunt or someone in your family who's teaching you. Um, I think that's a great yeah. relationship builder um, and it really strengthens, um, you know, the black family in a lot of ways. It also mm-hmm. gives you like that autonomy to decide what you're going to teach your kid. Um, Absolutely. Because yeah. I was out here saying like that Lincoln was a shit because he freed the slaves out here with <laughs> right. the little ping- pilgrim hats. <laughs> yeah. Problematic as hell. Yep. But yeah, you know, you can you can teach your culture. You can teach your your history to your your children. Um, and I actually came across a quote, I think it was like a few days ago by Gloria Latson Billings. And, you know, she was talking about, we must insert education into culture instead of culture mm-hmm. into education. Um, so it should definitely be a celebrating our, our culture and using that as a tool for education, as opposed to, you know, uh, going through like this Eurocentric education model and then try to sprinkle a little bit of culture here and there, you know, and then you have situations where you're only celebrating Black History Month in February, and then like you're only mm-hmm. celebrating like Hispanic history. I believe it's like uh, September, but yeah, September and October, yeah, yeah. So it's just like it should be all year round thing, especially if you're a school of Black and Brown kids. It shouldn't yep. be just a single month designated to them learning about themselves, and even when learning about themselves, it's still from a very Eurocentric lens. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like even for me, like the first thing I learned about Black history was slavery, but it's so much further than that, and yep. it's so much more than that. You know, and we create. And let me pause you there real quick, mm-hmm. just in case any white people are listening. So, white people, go back to the first episode and know if you're a white person or a non-melanated person. <laughs> But that is a prime example of what white privilege is. You're able to learn about your history year round. You're not giving a set period of time to learn about your history. So that's a prime example of mm-hmm. another instance of white uh, privilege is. But yeah. yeah, you go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think homeschooling, it really allows parents to, to really celebrate their cultures um, and learn in that way. Um, 
Mm-hmm. And then, like, for the parents who don't have, like, the privilege to stay home and teach their kids, there are learning cooperatives, which really is an, an indigenous practice to us as, like, melanated people. Yeah. Um, and I never heard that term either. So please, please break that down. Definitely. Yeah. So cooperatives, you know, you might have, like, a, a learning space. So it can be, like, in a mm-hmm. community center. It can be at somebody's house. But the idea is that you're building relationships. So I might not be able to homeschool my kids because I have to work, you know, night Mm. shifts. And then like, you know, during the day I'm working. So the person down the street, they might be able to homeschool their kids. So I Mm. build a relationship with that person down the street and I drop my kid off to this family's house because this is a family that I trust. And this is a family that I build a relationship with to know that they're going to really teach my kids, you know, properly. Um, and that's okay. something that was really like strong in us, you know, as a community, you know, because it's of, like that village approach. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it, and it definitely is a village approach. Um, and then like, say for example, I might be good with uh, science, you know, that's like my strong point. It's my career, but yeah. um, the person down the street is a musician. And then yeah. like the other person, like in my building might be a really good chef. And we come together and we create this curriculum where I'm teaching all of our children literacy. The musician is teaching all our children music. The chef Mm -hmm. is like teaching all of our children, you know, how to cook. Um, And it just goes back to like, you know, when you were a kid, your next door neighbors, they knew what you were doing, even when your parents didn't. And like (laughs) you were liable to either get ass whooping from your neighbor for doing something bad. And then you got another one from your parent when they came home. And your neighbor yep. told your parent what you did. So it's, it is like that village mentality. Um, and I think in order for us to really get to that place where we're able to go back to cooperatives, we need mm-hmm. to restore our sense of community in each other. Um, we've become a very individualistic society. Um, and that's yes. widely due to white supremacy. It's widely due to, uh, you know, neglect in our communities, you know, because mm-hmm. we have this idea that I can't help my neighbor because I need to help myself. But we don't yep. realize that when you're helping your neighbor, you're also helping yourself. Um, so it's just really about going through like a decolonization process where you're really opening your eyes up to some yeah. of the things that, you know, like a dominant culture has really done to us to break us apart and to, you know, tear mm-hmm. us apart and not have us lean on each other. Um, there's strength in numbers and we really need to like Absolutely. get those numbers together. Yeah. I always say that we're stronger together Mm -hmm. and a lot of us are living in survival mode. So we're just thinking about self, but we don't realize that when we come together, pull our resources, that we can actually thrive and get out of survival mode. But, you know, when you're in that mindset, when you're in that goal mode, you don't have the ability to really think clearly and plan accordingly and rationally like that. But, you know, it's one of those things of hopefully I'm just doing my part right now. Hopefully I'll be able to really set the light bulb off for somebody to really mm-hmm. show them like it's a different way. So, you know, yeah. we're going to make it. All right. So, you know, let's get a little light. Let's have a little fun. So we have a thing here called the Karen Chronicles, right? So in education, I'm sure you faced a lot of Karens yeah. um, or it can be in other areas too. So go ahead and let us know about a Karen or a Tanner incident in your <laughs> life. And how did that go? Um, a Karen incident. Okay, so there was another teacher who was white, a white woman from the suburbs who drove to Newark to teach the kids. And mm. we were trying to come up with like a science theme of, you know, we do like science fairs, like every year we were coming up with a theme for kindergarten. And mm. she suggested that all of the teachers dress as zoologists. And I feel like you might see where I'm going with this. But she suggested that all of the kindergarten mm-hmm. come to like school dressed as zoologists. And then she suggested that the children dress up like animals and monkeys and stuff like that. And mm. when she was like called out on it on why that wasn't appropriate, she lost her mind, like screaming and crying, like, I'm not a racist. Like no one called her a racist, first of all. We just pointed out why that's uh tone deaf and yep. just not a good idea. But it became They be snitching on themselves. I'm not a racist, but I really am a racist. I'm okay. <laughs> but like that was a true care moment because then there were yeah. white tears and like the screaming and the out of like the irate behavior. And it wasn't mm-hmm. just like 
a one day like feeling it lasted for like a good week of like her feeling like sensitive and like hurt by the fact that someone like told mm. her why it was wrong so I, that was like definitely a, a Karen moment because we you know we angry white woman it ain't no angry black woman it's angry white woman because y'all always labeling them yeah. angry black woman angry white <laughs> woman <laughs> for real <laughs> You know, Karen's just love to cry. Like, <laughs> love crying. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, they, they, they get on my fucking nerves. <laughs> sorry. But I'm sorry you had to go through that, you know, but we we, we going to make it. We always going to make it better no matter what. <laughs> so, definitely. But, Deja, thank you so much for dropping the jewels and especially like during this very important time. Um, people definitely make sure that you take advice to this. And especially if you don't have kids right now, you really need to think about what you're doing in the future. Yeah. Uh, if that is in your plans, because of course, you know, not everybody wants kids. Um, I- I'm starting to understand why now, you know, the freedom, but uh, yeah, but definitely um, crucial information. So Deja, can you please bl- plug anything that you have coming up, any businesses that you're involved in, and then also let the people know how they can reach you. Mm-hmm. So, um, First, I'm going to tell you where to reach me. Um, so I am on Instagram. It's Deja L. Jones, which is like my first name, middle initial and last name. Um, and then my web, I have a website, which is also www.dejaljones.com. I would really like to work with people who are interested in starting a learning cooperative or a homeschool initiative. So I'm, I'm definitely doing like a call to action for people who are interested in that. And I would definitely provide like consultation, um, wouldn't charge, um, but I would definitely, you know, like to have those conversations and really help set those, you know, learning spaces up for people who are interested. So it doesn't have to necessarily be a parent. You can be an educator or a tutor or youth development specialist who's thinking of starting a business in that way. Um, So I'm definitely open and I'm willing to work with people just helping them figure out curriculum, you know, all those mm. different things. All right. Dope. Dope. So people, please reach out to her. She is, you know, she, she's smart. She's smart out here. She's smart. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but Deja, thank you so much. I appreciate you. And, you know, talk to you later. Thank you. Thank you for checking out today's episode of the Miseducation of the People, proudly brought to you by the Real Talk Session Series, where all we do is provide that real talk only. All right, peace. Education.